On today's episode, we learn more about the effect the war is having on the league. Melbourne's premiership defence is interrupted by many players leaving to serve. Speaking of the league, they decided another patriotic premiership is a great way to raise money. We find out about Geelong's new home amidst some controversy in the preseason. Richmond's coaching situation becomes messy. And for the third year in a row, Collingwood have to deal with the defection of a star. And add to that Hawthorne's Stan Spinks getting up to some mischief. All that and more after the song. It's the history of football we knows about. And we want to expand what we know. We'll become such intelligent gentry with every kick-to-kick show. Beginning in the time 1870s, right through to the modern day. Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz to hear what they all have to say. All right, welcome to the 1941 edition of the Kick to Kick podcast. Um, I am here in my shed. I've got uh, I got Coops with me on my screen. Hello, hello, and uh, welcome the- from you know another <laughs> suburb. And I've got the Kazman, <laughs> who I cannot see. I've just got a name there that says Kazman uh, out there Hi, in the bush. Kaz. <laughs> That's right, way up here in the Dandenongs. Uh, well, We're not actually sure if it's him. Um, so obviously we're all in different locations. We are currently in, uh, I guess, quarantine or lockdown, whatever you want to call it, as most of the world seemed to be right now. So it's very reflective of what's happening and we're trying to adjust to those times as well by yeah. doing our podcast over Zoom. Yeah, that's it. Keeping ourselves sane uh, one football season at a time, especially when we can't watch real football. Yeah. It's nice to, uh, to still be talking about it in some way, especially when <laughs> Melbourne are doing so well. <laughs> uh, they haven't won it all this season, have they? I mean, Essendon is undefeated. No. Essendon is undefeated in 2020. I can't, I can't see us losing till at least June, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Just that good. That You're on a roll. Um, also reminds me, we got a really nice message on our Facebook group from a listener called Nick Skill, um, who just said, you know, in, in, in uncertain times, he loves how we treat each season of the past like it's the current season. Um, and that, you know, it's good to have some football to still talk about and listen to this year, like just like you were saying, Coops. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a big difference. And it's been so lovely to get a couple of messages from different people uh, enjoying what we're doing because yeah. we love doing it. So, you know, Whoever's listening, we're glad you still are. And maybe uh, we're keeping you from murdering the people that you live with at the moment just uh, by having to spend hours upon hours with them. At least you can spend a little bit of time with us. Yes. Um, also, we've had some Thank tweets. You, <laughs> we've had some tweets that Charlie mentioned, the big silo. And Kat, yes. they, uh, they dropped the, uh, the McCracken Name Award as well. So we've had some, uh, our lingo is getting out there. I love it. As I said, when, when Timmy uh, sent that to me, I said I could die a happy man knowing that uh, the big solo is in the public vernacular now. <laughs> it's there. It's official. It's a thing. It's real now like it always really was as far as we know. Exactly, Kaz. Thank you. <laughs> now, hello to listeners in uh, Poland, Portugal and the United Arab Emirates. Good to have you aboard. Yeah, welcome. Now, before, the water's we, warm. before we get into the history... <laughs> Um, I just want to address a question that we always get asked when we tell people we do this show. Uh, people always ask, what happens when you get to the end? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Of course. Yeah. Get that. I get that question um, quite often. 
and so when we eventually and the, catch up, which I reckon we're on track for about what twenty twenty five, yeah. Um, then we just need to do a podcast episode a year. We just we just yeah, catch up every that's year. it. That's going to be Amazing. it's going to be the most detailed podcast you've ever heard. Yeah, the, that one is going to run for twenty five hours, and <laughs> no. By yeah. then we will have taken over the world, so yeah. you know it doesn't matter. We'll, yeah, we'll, we might we might do some like a state of the or- state of origin special. We might do a club by club breakdown of you know maybe we might go all the way years. back to the start and start talking about the, the, the VFA. You know who knows? We have spoken about that, haven't we? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so let's get to some history now. Some, Give uh, us some history. 1941 history, which, you know, yes. reading, reading about it, it doesn't seem that dissimilar to what we're going through at the moment. I mean, obviously, there's a war going on, which is different, but there's similarities. Pa- para- there are parallels. There are definite yeah. parallels. Um, so can I start with a... Uh, I was going to start with a song, a hit song of uh, 41, <laughs> Glenn Miller, Chattanooga Choo Choo. <gasps> about Miguel's doo doo. Is that the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Great song. Great as well? Um, yes, yeah, so I've got the Boogie Woogie Doogle Boy. Oh, my God. Both classics, both from two great Australian ads as well. Um, <laughs> Chattanooga Choo Choo with the awesome foursome. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and um, the, that song is from the Curly Whirly ad. Do you remember that, the other one? <laughs> No. Around the boogie woogie right. boy from Company B. Yeah, it's from the Curly Whirly ad, like in oh. the was it late nineties, early thousands. Oh, just <laughs> Australia at its absolute finest. Those two ads. I trust Perfect. you. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, good. You should. Oh well. On that note, let's get into some history. <laughs> um. So, I felt and Tim. You may agree with me on this. I felt as though for 1940, probably had a little bit too much history in there. You know, this is not a war podcast. It's not a history podcast. So I'm just going to jump across a few things. I don't want to go into too much detail. We can go back into it for our war episode. So if you feel like I'm maybe minimizing the fact that there's a war going on in the world, that's on purpose. I'm focusing on some other things that are going on. Yeah. Uh, So... But in that, I'll start with a couple of things on the war. Um, on the 10th of January, the Lend-Lease Act was introduced in the US Congress, which was a huge thing which um, allowed um, the military aid to any countries whose defence was vital to the security of the US. So basically, they weren't joining the war, but they were saying that they're going to pour heaps of money into helping the countries who were in the war. Yeah. Um, on the 14th... Of January, the in on the BBC from London, Victor de Lavalle asked all Belgians, Belgians to use the letter V as a rallying sign, being yep. the first letter of victory, yep. which is where lots of V's came from in graffiti on the walls of ben, Belgium and later all across Europe, and also where Winston Churchill got his when he holds it up in a lot of those famous photos. Although he often did it the wrong way around huh. and made it look like he was uh, everyone, you know, the finger. Which, yeah. you know, classic. Um, 
On the 27th of January, uh, Joseph Gru, who was the US ambassador to Japan, reported to Washington a rumor that he overheard a di diplomatic reception concerning a planned surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. Ooh. So, mm, this is on the 27th of January. Yeah, that's uh, on the yeah on the sixth of February, Erwin uh, Rommel was appointed commander of the Africa Corps in, in um, for the Germans. Yeah. On the twenty third of Feb, now we're moving away for some, from some more stuff here. Uh, Glenn Seaborg isolated and discovered plutonium. Hmm. Mm. On the first of May, Orson Welles films to this. Kane premiered and also the first defense bonds went on sale in the US. Uh, on the 15th of May, Joe DiMaggio started his 56 game hitting streak um, and he went uh, one for four against Chicago White Sox pitcher Eddie Smith there. On the 19th of May, the Viet Minh was formed at Pac Bo in Vietnam, which was to overthrow the French rule of the nation and led by Ho Chi Minh. Um, so that will later become the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. So this is how far earlier that all started to happen, which I thought was really interesting. On the 1st of July, commercial television was authorized in the United States. And on that same day, NBC and CBS started in America. And the world's first legal TV commercial was aired on NBC for Bulova Watches. And it was aired before a baseball game between the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Philadelphia Phillies. So the first yeah. thing on TV was sport. Love it. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, on the 3rd of October in Australia, the Prime Minister Arthur Fadden resigned following the rejection of his budget by two independent MPs. So we'll go more into um, into detail on that later. Uh, but on the 7th of October, John Curtin was sworn in as Prime Minister after um, Arthur Fadden's government lost its majority support in the House of Reps. Yeah. On the 18th of October, General Hideki Tojo became the 40th Prime Minister of J Japan. And on the same day, The Maltese Falcon was released, starring Humphrey Bogart and direct directed by John Houston. Uh, on the 31st of October was the very last day they carved anything on Mount Rushmore. Wow. Mm -hmm. On the 4th of November, Skipton won the Melbourne Cup. On the 11th of November, the Australian War Memorial was opened in Canberra, which was, I thought was an interesting timing during the war to open a war memorial. Yeah. Yeah. On the 19th of November, the light cruiser HMAS Sydney engaged uh, the German cruiser Cormoran in an hour-long battle off the coast of Western Australia. So both of the ships were sunk and the Sydney went down with 645 crew on board. On the 7th of de December, or the 8th of December in Japan, uh, Pearl Harbor was attacked. Uh, it began at 7.55 a.m. in Hawaii and it was announced on radio stations across the U.S. at about 11.30 p.m. On the same day, FDR, the president, delivered his famous speech in front of a joint session of Congress. Um, it attracted the largest ever 
radio broadcast audience with over 81% of homes in America listening in. And within an hour, Congress agreed to the president's request for a declaration of war upon Japan. Um, the next day, Australia, well, sorry, the same day, Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands, the Free French, Yugoslavia, Costa Rica, Cuba, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras officially also declared war on Japan. Um, and yeah, so that brought America into the war properly. That was right and at the, the end of the year. You, know, you could really imagine um, what it's like for everybody and what everybody's sort of doing at that time. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. Unbelievable. Um, so then, a few people were born also in 1941. Yeah, I thought that stopped. Surprisingly, you. I thought I thought there were no. no. I tell you what, it happened. It really <laughs> happened. Um, so, on the very first of January, Martin Evans, uh, who was a biologist and a Nobel Prize winner. Um, was born, he was the first person to culture embryonic stem cells in mice. And so he started that whole thing. Mm -hmm. On the 8th of January, Graham Chapman, who was uh, one of the original members of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. On the 21st of January, Placido Domingo, the opera singer conductor and conductor was born. And on the 24th of January, Neil Diamond was born. (laughs) On the... 30th of January, Dick Cheney, the 46th Vice President of the United States. And on the 16th of February, Kim Jong-il was born, who died in 2011. On the 26th of March, Richard Dawkins, the scientist and and author, was born. On the 28th of March, Alf Clausen, I want to say it that way, who's a, the American composer, do, who I'm sure you've heard the name. Tim, mm. do you know where it comes from? No, you would know it. Classic. Yeah, he's the composer. He he worked on The Simpsons. He wrote oh, The okay. Simpsons theme songs and all the, all the composing uh, for them. Yeah, so, so I've seen his in, thing in the credits that many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, on the 12th of April, Bobby Moore, the English football player and World Cup winning captain. There only. On the 24th of April, John Williams, who is an Australian guitarist, um, he won a Grammy and was known as maybe the, uh, what do they say? The best um, technical guitar player ever, almost. That's what he was called. Um, On the 13th of May, Richie Valens, of La Bamba fame yeah. was born <laughs> and died in 1959 and yeah, unfortunately as we know uh on may 19th nora efron the film producer director and screenwriter harry met sally sleepless in seattle the classics yep. um, get with me come on now <laughs> on the 24th of may we had bob dylan i mean nothing needs to be said on the 9th of september otis redding the singer of Dock of the Bay and many other things. On the 3rd of October, John Elliott, the Australian businessman and later president of Carlton. Pig's ass. Pig's ass. Stuck it right up. No, it's not. Yeah. On <laughs> the 8th of October, Jesse Jackson, the uh, oh. African-American clergyman and civil rights activ- activist, was born. On October 13, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel was born, 
And on November 5th, Art Gunk Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel was born. Oh, I didn't there know. There you go. <laughs> Great. Very nice. And on the very last day of the year, September 31st, Sir Alex Ferguson, the football manager of Manchester United, was born. So mm. there you go. A few big names there. It's a big year. <laughs> All right. Um, because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, all right. So a bit of league news to start with. Um, a proposal was put to the VFL apparently for the second time in uh, late January suggesting a top top six, actually. With uh, Oh, third, really? Yeah, third would play fifth, fourth would play sixth in knockout matches, and then the two winners would play the first and second, and they'd just continue from there. Um, mm, that was, that like was obviously it. knocked back. No, it was knocked back. And they continued with the current system, which is, you know, they, they've been pretty steady now with the, uh, the Paige McIntyre system. Yeah, because it's a great system. Don't, <laughs> don't wreck something that works so well. Um, the league also announced that players were not bound by any residential zone whilst in the Army of Defence duties, um, especially like state to state. So we'll see a few players... Yes, moving around. So not yeah, okay. So not within that um not with that three year uh residential sort of buffer yeah, residential zone. Okay, that's yeah. that good. And like yeah, that. you'll see clubs like Melbourne who benefit from that when they have, you know, um, have some pretty good players who come and play for them for a few times they certainly the do. station. Yeah. Yeah. Um and finally the VFL postponed its round five matches to again stage the uh the Patriotic Cup. If you remember Kazman they uh they played a, a knockout tournament that was won by St Kilda last year. Yeah, winning everything that doesn't matter. Well done, St Kilda. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. So bet- between rounds four and five. Yeah. Um. So it's slightly different from last year in that uh, the bottom four teams got a, got the first part of the match off. They did it differently, whereas the top, the bottom four teams still played each other, but then they got the second match off. So St Kilda and Fitzroy both won their first game and then got a, a match off and then came straight into the uh, semifinals. Oh. And it was also, looking at the system, it was, it was almost done like the old finals where it was, you know, second, fourth, sixth and eighth. It was almost yep. kind of like that. But that seems strange, though, to give them a buy in the second week because surely that just meant, and I'm assuming we'll talk about it more later, but I'm, I'm assuming that that just meant that they all those bottom teams would have just been flattened in the semi-final. Um, yeah, well, they did. It was only every single game was played in one day, so it wasn't like a week off. It was more like half an hour off. Yeah, but st- but still, the the lower teams, and then they're just bypassing the second round. Yeah, and then I guess it doesn't matter either way, but. <laughs> And yes, yeah, surprisingly, neither of them won anyway, so it didn't make a difference. No. <laughs> um, so look, we'll, we'll talk very quickly about the result from this. So um, it was a lesser crowd than the last season and wasn't as successful. Um, the grand final ended up being Melbourne and Collingwood at the MCG. Uh, all games being played at the MCG. Uh, the final score was uh, Melbourne three goals, one defeated by Collingwood three goals, two. So a one-point patriotic oh. Collingwood. Congrats, Collingwood. Yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's only... No. Who really cares? 
Um, the- it's good. They they managed to raise raise a bit of money. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in that regard, you yes. know that's what it's all about at this time. Yes, in that regards, yes. Um, but I don't hear yeah. I don't hear Eddie Maguire banging on about their patriotic cup victory, which is good. Um, and the only other bit of uh, league news, Collingwood news, was uh, a bit of the Dacos dispatch here. We've got Peter Dacos's mum being born, Philomena Dacos. Oh, it's all happening. She's been born over it's in really uh, Macedonia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the wheels, are, wheels are in motion. <laughs> so, so I would say he's basically started training. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's just doing much smaller laps at this stage. <laughs> so up through the ladder positions from bottom to top. G- guys, 12th place, Hawthorne with three wins, 15 losses, percentage of 68.2. Charlie? Yes. So this year, um, captain by Bert Mills, coached by Bert Mills, uh, their lead goal kicker was Alec Alberston with 57 not surprisingly, also won their best and fairest. Um, I've got a, a name for you, Kazman, Frank Cutter. Is that what I'm going to Frank Cutter. You? Frank Cutter. Um, look, season got off to a poor start. Uh, they had successive losses against Footscray, Collingwood and Carlton. Um, but then we've got an, an interesting situation here. Prior to the round four game against Geelong, there was a bit of drama. Champion wingman Stan Spinks, uh, he went and enjoyed too many ales with the trainers after practice. Stop it. Stanley. Yeah. He then headed to the Palace Theatre, um, which was just down the road where Coles now is, if you know that area, uh, and fell asleep. And he was spotted by locals. Uh, so well, words, he fell asleep in the theatre? I believe so. Oh, um, my God. Stan, <laughs> pull yourself <laughs> together, man. Word got back to the match committee and Spinks was reprimanded and dropped to the seconds for the next match against Geelong. Um which is, uh, which actually, I was sorry, I was, I was going to say that's um, very strong from Hawthorne when they're doing so poorly to reprimand and drop probably one of their best players into mm. the seconds. Um, something that a lot of clubs have struggled to do in recent times, I think, you know, when they're, when they're performing poorly, a lot of great, good players get away with a lot more because they can't really afford to not have them on. So yeah. good on Hawthorne for standing strong. Yeah, and he look, he absolutely dominated in the, in the seconds um, and the reserves had a rare victory. Um, but the seniors won as well. Um, so it was a, a good all-round day as the seniors won by 15 points in their first game of the season. Following the round six loss to Richmond, Spinks announced his intention to retire due to his business commitments. However, he was actually feeling pretty disgruntled about how he'd been treated. He was offered 250 pounds to join Camberwell in the VFA. Um, yeah, massive. Which is huge money. And then uh, Hawthorne matched his offer, but then Camberwell upped the ante by offering 500 pounds. Um, so, yeah, so he quit without a clearance and was banned from the VFL. But I, th- I didn't think we ne- you needed clearances anymore. Not so the VFA VFL war still going on, but like if you want, if you were positioned to another state, you could play in their league. Ah, uh, okay, yep, yeah. Uh, yes, so Hawthorne were pretty dismal from then on. They lost the next six matches, each one by more than 30 points. Uh, round 11, they finally won again. They notched a 21 point win over the Saints at Glen Ferry. 
Uh, but then six heavy losses followed with the opposition racking up over 100 points on each occasion. And then finally, they won the last game of the season by defeating South Melbourne by 29 points. Um, it's only a way win of the year. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's Hawthorne. Yeah, well. Coming up in 11th place, St Kilda, back down the bottom um, with three wins and 15 losses, 81.9%. So let's get bridges for St Kilda. So, yeah, uh, the Saints, um, captain coached by Jack Knight. Their lead goal kicker was Ron Flegg with 47. Uh, their best and fairest winner was Reg Garvin. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty dismal finish from St Kilda as well. Yeah. Um, did you say Ron Flegg? Bob Flegg. Ron. I said Ron. Oh, I've got Bob here. It was his... Uh... Bob Flegg in his debut season, yeah. Mm. Ah, I wonder. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> That's all right. mm, there you um, go. So if you remember, Ansel Clark had been St Kilda's coach um, for the last few seasons. He retired as... Yeah, absolutely. He'd been there the last three years. Yep. He retired with Jack Knight, obviously being a Collingwood Premiership player, made captain coach. Yeah, I mean, good choice. Good pedigree. Yep. Obviously um, didn't work out, but... No. <laughs> No, well, he's, he has since quit coaching St Kilda. He's, he's no longer there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Bill, it was good news because Bill Moore had decided to pull the boots on one last time. Well, good. Yep. Because they haven't squeezed enough blood out of him yet, have they? <laughs> Jesus. Um, so round one, St Kilda played another lakeside pennant match at the Junction Oval. Um, oh, yeah. Saints holding on despite a shocking, kick, shocking kicking. They kicked 12 goals, 20. Uh, Billy Moore kicking yeah. one goal. Uh, so St Kilda would hold on to win that game. And I think that, that puts them up now to a, a 5-1 lead in the Lakeside pennant. <laughs> Good on them. Just getting that one. Yep, 5-1. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now, the only thing, though, is that towards the end of the week, Bill Moore decided the best thing to do for himself and his body was to retire. Uh, he, yeah, because he's what, what like he's got to be at least seventy five now. Like yeah, he just keeps on. He, yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so he um he decided he couldn't reach peak form and wanted to make way for the youngsters to to come and play. Yeah, good, good, good on him for doing it. <laughs> Round two, St Kilda went down to Cardinia Park. Now we yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about this in a minute. Yeah. Look, and despite a spirited comeback, they couldn't scrape it in as Geelong won by two points. Uh, Bob Flegg, I think it was Bob, kicked seven goals for the Saints. And Cole Williamson actually had a shot after the siren to win the game, but he missed. Uh, the next win the Saints had was round seven, which was a seven-goal win over the Doggies. Who, who did jump them early? Ken Walker kicking six in that one. Uh, round 13, the Saints beat Geelong for their third and final win of the season. Bob, uh, Bob Flegg kicking five in that one. Um, and round 17, the Saints' second-year recruit and all-round utility, Keith Miller. Uh, Keith Miller being a favourite of Anna's grandma as well, who we, she was talking about last time. Uh, g'day to Anna Ann Morris. Um, Keith Miller was moved to full forward for the game and ended up mm. kicking – he kicked, I think, eight goals and a loss, which was quite big, uh, a big, big score for a loss there. Um, but the interesting thing about Keith Miller is he was also a cricketer. Um, he in Sheffield Shield match in '39. He actually ran out Don Bradman. Wow. He made uh, made 108 at the MCG against South Australia. Um, he was a yeah an all round 
sportsman. Um, he was ruggedly handsome as well, apparently. Amazing. Ruggedly handsome. I, I hope when people in a hundred years or less look back <laughs> and try and find out about a bit about me, something says that I was ruggedly handsome. I would, <laughs> that would just cap everything off. I think it'd be the best way to finish. <laughs> I've just, sorry, Timmy, I just checked the, the, my information was wrong. It is not Ron. It is Bob Flegg. You are absolutely right. So there thank you, you go. Think. So AFL tables. Thank you. Mm, well done. AFL tables. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, 10th spot down in the cellar there. Geelong with three wins, 15 losses, 83%. Geelong, yes. So, well, we just talked about uh, that, but we'll get into that in a minute. They This year, um, captained by Tom Arkley, coached by Len Metherill. Their lead goal kicker was Lindsay White with 67. Yeah. Uh, their best. It was Jim Knight. So, another um, another club to have lost a long-term uh, per- important person after we talked about Billy Moore just then. Reg Hickey's obviously been captain coach for the last uh, four years. Yeah, well, Charlie, he actually he actually left early on last season. Yeah, but, we, you know, he's, he's gone for good. Yes, yes, he is. Well, he comes back to coach very soon, yeah. but for the time, but he's not playing. That's a lot of experience yeah. of games. Lot, lots gone, yeah. yeah. So we mentioned the fact that uh, uh, St Kilda played them at um, Cardinia Park. Uh, Timmy, that why was that? Uh, because the military took over Cardinia Oval. Uh, so that happened in early February, which meant... Cario Car- Oval. So what did I say? Cardinia Oval. Yes, uh, the military took yeah. over Cario Oval. Yeah. Uh, which meant they needed to find a place. So um, they applied to... So a few things actually happened. During March, the players of Geelong Football Club went on strike Yeah. and refused to train over a pay dispute. The players were seeking three pounds a week, uh, but the club was only offering one. Which was the rule that they um, they brought back in, that because of the times and they brought back in the call to law, basically, and saying no one was going to be paid over three pounds. Yeah. But, but Geelong took it further and said we're actually not going to even pay three pounds we're going to pay less yeah um yeah because they'd all and they they were already upset because they'd received pay cuts the previous year yes Mm. as well Um, also the club like they'd finished quite well the season before they were in a strong financial position and also yeah so it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense is what where the players were coming from they're like you guys are making money why shouldn't we yeah, so the club claimed it was because of the expense of moving from Corio Oval to Cardinia Park. Mm. And also they, they said that there were increased payments to war funds, yep. which it was is probably fair and very hard to argue with, really. Yeah. Um, and because of that, the majority of the players accepted that, that offer, but um, yep. a few didn't. Yeah. Uh, so the club moved to Cardinia in Feb. Um, but this pay dispute, um, most players accepted the one pound ten offer, but five senior yeah. players didn't, and they actually crossed yeah. to the VFA. Those players leaving being Alan Everett going to Preston, Bernie Hall going to Coburg, and Alan Nipper Marsham to Williamstown. But the other two after leaving actually came back. So that was um, George Doherty and Tom Arkley. Tom Arkley being the captain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they left. Um, to Coburg and Preston, but came back. Yeah. So yeah, it was a 
Very interesting and tumultuous start to the year and not a surprise where they finished in the end after all of that. No. Um, so, as we said... Um, I feel like there's um, less emotion in, in some of these decisions back back in these times. It was, it was more like a, a thing of principles where you would stick together with your, your mates and, um, yeah, even the, even the captain has these principles too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it was... Um, that it was similar to the time, I guess, it, well, maybe a little bit different to the time of the Great Depression where it was like, well, you just go where the money is because that's where you, you know, you've got to look after your family, I guess. Yeah. It, it's not, you're not sort of talking about the difference between three hundred dollars and $500,000. You're talking about the difference between, you know, putting dinner on the table. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. yeah. Um, so round one, they had a one point loss to North Melbourne. And then round two would be the first ever match at Cardinia Park for Geelong. Um, hey. And it was an absolute thriller, just like their last game had been at Cryo Oval. Uh, so they played St Kilda. And Geelong, could only, Geelong had a bit of a lead, but could only manage three points in the last quarter. But they managed to hold on to beat the Saints by two points. With um, The first goal at the ground was kicked by George Doherty. And yeah, they, they got the, the first win, which was uh, lucky because as we said before, St Kilda had a shot after the siren to win the game and that missed. Um, following this win, they would then win. They would then lose the next nine in a row. Now, round three, uh, the, the Demons paid a visit to Cardinia Park. You know who else paid a visit to the Cardinia Park? Tell us, Tim. Tell us who else did it. Several rabbits. <laughs> what do you mean, several rabbits? Uh, so it appears that uh, Cardinia Park was also home to rabbits, so they bobbed up during the play. Um, but ah, <laughs> as you do. Incredibly, somehow the boundary umpire managed to catch one of these rabbits and gave it to the boys over the fence. Are you joking? No. Uh, give, that, give that boundary umpire a, a position on field because if you Absolutely. can catch a bloody rabbit, you can, yeah. uh, you can do anything. It's like Mr Miyagi catching a fly with chopsticks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, early in the same game, a sheepdog actually made its home on the field as well and couldn't be removed until half time when uh, two policemen chased it along, um, chased it into the St. Augustine's band where it was captured and placed in an overcoat and removed. Why did they dress it before they removed it? That makes no <laughs> sense at all. So it wouldn't scratch also, what is this? What is this petting zoo that Geelong are running? What is yeah. going on? <laughs> we can't, yeah, we've lost it. Interesting times. Uh, um, I don't know, but it seems like, yes, it seems like that everybody is just waiting for something something like this to happen. And I don't blame them. I like it. Yeah, it happens from time to time, doesn't it? Animals invade. Yeah. Always uh, enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, a bit of something interesting to keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Now, round four at Glen Ferry Oval, as Geelong lost to Hawthorne, the funny story of this day belonged to Lindsay White. Uh, who, when kicking the team's second goal, he kicked it so low and hard that it rebounded off the fence and smacked him in the face. <laughs> That's too good. Oh, the ultimate falcon. Yep. Round 12 was another thriller with a four-point win over North at home. Um, their final win came in round 15 against Hawthorne at home by 15. Um, now, round 18... Was the season was you know, such a bad season that the committee offered five pounds if the team could keep Richmond from doubling their score, um, which was achieved. <laughs> so hang on. So it's not even a competition of 
let's see, five, five pounds if you can win. Five pounds if you can just stay more than half of Richmond's score. <laughs> yeah, which they managed. Um, so they lost to Richmond 132 to 83. So, yep, they, they were well within that. Um, and the five pounds was divided equally among the 19 players. Oh, hang on. Okay. So it wasn't five pounds a player. Five pounds equally among 19 people. Yep. That's it's not an incentive. I'm it sorry. And, well, you also, I feel like work. that's the... That is the biggest backhanded, um, like, it's such an insult, that entire thing, just to be like, oh, I'll give you money if you can be better than half. Yeah. It's like being like, being like, oh, I'll play with one hand tied behind my back and let's see how you go then. <laughs> what a yeah. smug prick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Ninth place, North Melbourne. Six wins, 12 losses, 92.9%. North Melbourne, yes. So uh, North Melbourne, uh, captained by Bill Finley, coached by Bob McCaskill. Their lead goal kicker was Sel Murray with 88, and uh, their best and fairest was George Kennedy. So a bit to talk about with North. Yeah, um, quite a bit, actually. So new players included Bill Dunn, Les Foote, Dick Abickhair coming from Hawthorne after uh, he left them in 38. So we've got some interesting names there, Kazman. Oh, actually, and I forgot one to tell you earlier as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Hurd, who played for Geelong. Good alliteration. We love a bit of alliteration here. <laughs> love it. Absolutely. So round one uh, was an encouraging 41-point win over Hawthorne. They really dominated them in the second half. And North, you know, had a good first-up win, which very rarely happens for North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, so who did you say was the captain, Charlie? I said Bill Finley. Okay, so up until round because four. He, yeah, yeah, he started. Yeah, sorry, it was um, someone else who began the year. Yeah, so Jock Cordner started the game as captain, but then um, against Carlton in round four, he played his last game. Uh, he injured his ankle in the game, which was a reoccurrence of an old injury. It required surgery in a private hospital, and he would never play league football again. Yeah. Well, there you go. So then Bill Finley took over after round five. Well, from round five, yeah. Yeah. Round 11 saw a great win for North, holding off a gallant Fitzroy to win by a point at Brunswick Street Oval. Uh, George Brock was named in round 14 to take on Richmond in this game. Uh, He was in Melbourne for RWAF training. Unfortunately, he was involved in a training mishap and was killed on the morning of the match. Oh, my God. Um, He had played four games in that season for North Melbourne. Um, but this seemed to, in, I guess, inspire. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but they they played well and they they um, they couldn't quite get Richmond, but they only lost by four points. Wow! Um, North Melbourne kicked uh, 100 points ten times in this season, but really the big story was Sel Murray. Yes. Um, so under Coleman Medal rules, he won the goal kicking this season, 88 goals. Yes. We'll talk about uh, we'll talk about who really won it later. No, I can't go back on my word. The Coleman rules are the rules. Sell Murray won one hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, Kaz, do you want to talk a little bit about him, or do you want me to? So, Tim, Sell Murray, a very clever high mark and a deadly left foot. Um, now he was playing in the time where North Melbourne were cellar dwellers. They were down the bottom, um, and Sell Murray was probably is we've, we're saying he's rated as Unfortunately, not as a very um, prominent full forward, but it's possible that he was one of the best kicks 
full forward in that era with the in the team that he was in. And now, um, so to back all this up, Jim, it, it says here that uh, he was the fastest player to ever record 300 goals at 73 games. The third fastest. So that's that's what I meant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's quite a record as well, being the uh, the third fastest player to ever kick 300 goals. Mm. Yeah, wow. And really, um, you think about it. So Ron Todd at Collingwood, he was just being fed by those champions, those premiership champions. Yeah, that's it. A f- phenomenal midfield just getting it, just dropping it on his head every single week. Yeah, where <laughs> Sal, Murray, Sal Murray is playing in a perennial wooden spoon team. Yeah. He's still kicking bags and goals. Um, he, yeah, kicked goals in every game. Three goals was his lowest tally. He kicked eight goals in round two. I mean, for a team that's won so many wooden spoons, that's impressive. It's like um, was it like when, like Billy Moore kicking bags and bags as well. I think that's what I was going to say. It's like Billy Moore or um, or Roy Park, Timmy, just yes. like Roy Park. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the great, the greatest forward ever. <laughs> no, he is, and that's. Uh, that's always the hardest thing, being a, a, a champion goal kicker in a well, team. Well, you can't be, can you? Well, yeah, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to show how good you are. Yep. So, I mean, just imagine if he was playing for Collingwood or had that midfield delivering him goals. He, he'd be up there with Pratt, Pratt probably kicking 150 or so. Imagine if, I mean, let's not, let's not worry about Collingwood. Imagine if he was in the Ds at this ah. time. Well, <laughs> getting fed by getting fed by Purse, having Smithy just get, getting him off, you know, just leading off him, dummying out. Unbelievable. You would, you'd assume he'd be so uh, self, unselfish, just like Norm Smith. So he probably wouldn't be kicking bags because that's not the uh, that's not their way. That's not the shinbone way. Yeah, true. So it's not, so it's not the demons' way. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. Yeah, we share it around. Everyone can kick a hundred goals at the D's at this stage. It's a great time to be alive. <laughs> Alrighty, um, South, <laughs> let's move on to South Melbourne. Eighth place, South Melbourne with eight wins, 10 losses and 90%. Yes, so South Melbourne, a captain this year by uh, Herbie Matthews again. Their coach, they have left uh, Herbie Matthews just on field as captain and got another coach in Joe Kelly. Uh, their lead goal kicker was Jack Graham with 33. Yeah, so Joe Kelly coming across from Carlton. Um, so he brought his, his uh, quicker game plan to the Swans. Um, some good debutants uh, here, Kazman. We've got Dave Engelenner and Billy Deans. I like Billy Deans. Hey, fantastic. <laughs> uh, so round one was a disappointing loss to St Kilda, who just managed to outlast the Swans with strength, not skill, the dominant factor in that game. Um, Round four was a good win over Fitzroy, their first for the year. Uh, it was 27 points with Ken Dineen kicking four. Round five, their first game down at Cardinia Park. South got a win with seven points, a seven-point win. Um, now, after this game, the club actually has to slash, slash their wages. Um, the players accepted this and gave their support to the secretary with cheering. Uh, Herbie Matthews was quoted as so, saying, yeah. there we go, Charlie. No, I was going to say, it's it's the difference of a club with their, with their stuff together more so than, you know, say a Geelong, as we've just heard about, the exact same things going on, but because everyone's on the same page, you know, you can get away with, you can get away with it and people are pulling together rather than it tearing you apart. Yeah. Um, so Herbie Matthews 
was quoted as saying the players realized that it's the present circumstances and the reduction of payment was necessary. Officials, members and supporters could rest assured that the players would go on, go after winning of their matches with even greater determination. So yeah, you're right, Charlie. Mm. Uh, round 10, they beat Collingwood at Victoria park by seven points, which was their first win against the magpies since round 10, 1936. Wow. Jeez. Five years, four years, five years, yeah. Yeah, this actually kickstarted a mini run of wins. So round 11, they had a strong win over second place Carlton. Uh, ahead by one point at three-quarter time, they came home stronger to win by 16. Although in this win, Jack Graham, their ruck star, was banned from playing as he did not go and represent his state when called upon. So there was still a state game going on, but um, the, the rule was if you were named, you had to go and play. And if you didn't or didn't have a good reason, excuse, you, had, you were suspended. I like that. Like I totally get that. That makes that makes perfect sense. I yeah, interesting. Round I wonder 12. why he didn't go. Uh, probably they all worked, so he probably had work he couldn't get out of, or something like that. Yeah, but surely that's a good enough reason. Anyway, it's interesting, unanswerable question. Yes. Um, round twelve was a home win over St Kilda in the Lakeside Pennant. Jack hey. Graham. Yeah, Jack Graham kicked four. Archie Baxter, Brian Kelly, and Jack Mulligan got two each. Um, the tally is now five-two. Great. And their final love keeping the... score on a competition that just doesn't matter at all. <laughs> hey, St Kilda needs their wins where they can get them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so does South at the moment, really. Mm. Uh, their final win of the year was round sixteen. It was a one-point win over Geelong. Uh, it was a comeback as they were down by 17 points at three-quarter time and managed to hold the Cats goalless in the final quarter. Um, listening to that, lots of close games for South this year, that year. Lots of nail biters. It's good. Quite a, quite a few within or just outside of a goal. I like yeah. it. If we look at this, this is the lowest they finished since – so the highest they finished since 36. Slowly clawing their way yeah, up. Yeah, they cat. They're pulling it back together after all the sand gropers went back to uh, Cottesloe Beach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Seventh place, Fitzroy, the Gorillas, and tied um, on eight wins and 10 losses, but 96.3%. The Gorillas. The Gorillas, the great men. So Fitzroy this year... Fitzroy, uh, coached by Dan Minogue, captained by Frank Curcio, and uh, leading goal kicker was Claude Curtin with 65. So a bit of conti- uh, continuity there for Fitzroy, same as last year. In fact, exact same um, coach, captain, and leading goal kicker. Last year, Curtin kicked 56. This year, 65. So there you go. Just flip it around. And Kaz, we were looking at their jumper earlier. This is the year they finally got the monogram on the jumper. Love it. FFC. Love it. I think everyone should have it. I'm all about the monogram. Um, A debutant for Fitzroy this year, uh, Kaz, was Ivor Clay. Solid name. Yeah, Ivor Clay. Um, Now, round (laughs) one. Um, Fitzroy were able to best the reigning premiers Melbourne at the MCG. That doesn't sound right at all. No, well, this is this is completely true. They came back from a goal down to win by twenty-four points, <laughs> holding the demons goalless in the last quarter. Um, they also had a big recruit who made his debut in this game. Yes, um, you know you might have heard of him. He was a pretty famous player, Albert Collier. 
massive, huge. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I mean, if this rivalry was still in existence, uh, this would be a huge thing, but I mean, it's not really. I mean, it's good for, good for Albert that he got a, a chance to finish off playing on his, yeah. under his own terms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder whether um, Fitzroy put on put back the black socks. Do that again. <laughs> um, so after this match, the media were like, "Oh, Fitzroy, they beat the reigning premiers. They're going to have a great season." They then lost their next four games. Yeah, yeah. flash in the pan. <laughs> yeah. Now round th- round three, um, Lita Collier would go up against his old side. And although the Gorillas lost, um, at one point, Collier was said to have made a brilliant burst for the Fitzroy goals, kicked his third goal of the day. And a supporter called out, men are no longer too old after being picked for 15 years by the Magpies. I, okay. It's a bit wordy, but I don't mind it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, round eight. Strugglers Fitzroy caused a huge boiler when they recovered from 38 points down at quarter time to get up and beat Carlton at Princess Park. Um, this kicked off a run of three wins, 65.1 over, over Hawthorne with Stackpole kicking five, and then a two-point win over St Kilda in a thriller at Junction Oval. Um, then four losses in a row, and mid-season, the players were rocked by, I guess, what was happening at all the other clubs, they were told the club was in a cash crisis and couldn't get paid. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the players met and decided to keep playing. Their reward was a decision by the committee to make retrospective payments of two pounds a match. Great. And that's, I guess everyone's on board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought this was interesting. Round 14, another game against Collingwood. Um, no less than four ex magpies were playing against their former side. So it had Albert Collier, Massive. Les Hill, Keith Stackpole and Jeff Nichols all playing against their old team in what was a 26-point loss for Fitzroy. Wow. There you go. Um, they won their last four games. They beat South Melbourne with Lita Collier kicking four, knocked off finals bound Richmond, and then Geelong in Geelong. The annual report called it a disappointing season, but they had some big wins there. Like, you look at those teams they've beaten. Yeah. I guess the thing, though, like if you think about it in terms of where they're sitting, if you think of the mindset, again, we were, you know, saying, oh, we'll give you five pounds if you manage to lose by less than half of the score as compared to calling seventh a disappointing season. It's where you, it's how you look at the side and where you want to be. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't mind that at all, even though Fitzroy have been pretty terrible for quite a while. With some excellent players, yeah. they haven't managed to get the job done. Now they're like, okay, we actually we still want more. We want to get back to where we used to be. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay, sixth place Footscray with 10 wins, 8 losses, 110.5%. Ah, so Footscray, the tricolours, uh, this year captained by Norm Ware and coached by Norm Ware. Um, their lead goal kicker was Alan Collins with 35 and their best and fairest was Norm Ware and Arthur Oliver. So he really did the, uh, the triple play there. Indeed. An interesting fact I found was that uh, Jack Dyer was stationed at Footscray Station as a policeman um, during this season, and the doggies tried to get him to play for them, but he, he said no. I'll play, continue playing for Richmond. Of course. Yeah. Um, now, well, <laughs> as you would. Um, round one, Footscray almost doubled Hawthorne's score in the first game, beating them by 41 points. 
They then also thumped Fitzroy and South Melbourne to sit on top of the ladder at the end of round three, Kazman. Wow. Uh, round four, they went into this game looking to get their very first win at Victoria Park against Collingwood. And they had the opportunity in the dying minutes. Uh, they were down by less than the goal and had shots on goal but could only kick behinds, uh, ultimately going down by one point. Oh. oh. But uh, round six was their biggest win probably for a long time, knocking off two-time reigning premiers Melbourne by 28 points. And of course they did. A, an 11-goal second quarter, getting them the win with Billy Houston kicking six. Oh, that's 11 goal was. second quarter. That's massive, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, round 10. Um, in a loss to Richmond, Jack Dyer angered the Footscray crowd when he tangled with Ambrose Palmer. We know Ambrose Palmer being a boxer. Um, the, yes. umpire, the umpire appeared to report him, but no official report was made. Uh, Jim Thomas tried to get Palmer to throw a punch at Dyer, um, but they ultimately shook hands and got on with the game. Yeah. But- <laughs> I it like doesn't it. seem like Jack Dyer to be picking no. the box. So. <laughs> I love it. Dyer's like, oh, you want me to come play for you? You know what I'm going to do? Punch your best player. No. <laughs> um, now, round 14 against South Melbourne, the Doggies gave a 16-year-old named Len McKenkey his league debut. He would go on to play mm-hmm. 143 games for Footscray. Uh, they would win this game by 26 points. Um an interesting fact about McKenkey was that he had a bit of a habit of rushing recklessly into packs with players <laughs> on his own team, even being fearful of being barreled over by him. I love it. That's so good. Uh, and finally they lost three. That's, they lost. That's ballsy from a 16 year old as well. <laughs> Just running into exact... packs of guys who were like twice his age. <laughs> that's exactly uh, how I would have played that. <laughs> and then finally, um, they lost three of their last four, only beating St Kilda in the final game to finish, I guess, on a semi-high, you know, as, as much as beating St Kilda can get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, great, we won against St Kilda. Yeah. First place, Collingwood. 12 wins, six losses, 110.9%. Ooh, slipping out of the four there. So moving on to Collingwood. Uh, coach, bye. Can we guess? Jock <laughs> McHale. Okay. Uh, captain by the, the person among fullbacks, Jack Regan. Their lead goal kicker, Albie Panham with 42. Best and fairest winner was Frank Murphy. Mm. Um, some, so actually really big news. The biggest thing for Collingwood didn't happen on the field this year. Um, in the preseason, Collingwood became the first club to actually gain a liquor license. Uh, really? Yeah. So John Wren, of course, Jack Galbelli and Frank Rafe being really instrumental in acquiring, I think it was the Tivoli's license. And so they could, uh, yeah, Ooh. a bit of a, or very much so a leader in that sort of uh, trying to bring in different wealth to the club. Yeah. Mm. So some, some quite big debutantes this season as well at Collingwood. Yes. Um, yes. Can anybody guess who we are referring to? One of the biggest Collingwood. Huge. Uh, it is the, well, cousin of, uh, the cousin of Albie Panham. Well, I wonder who uh, it could be, Kaz. Come on, put us out of our misery. Tell us who it was. <laughs> That's right. None other than the great Lou Richards. His full name, Lewis Thomas Charles Lou Richards, 
started playing this year, didn't he? And um, so it's a big year for forwards. Um, and uh, you might think Lou Richards was famous for um, being a full forward, but really it was his lippiness that people liked the most. <laughs> like Absolutely. Him. You can imagine he can, he can, he's got the gift of the gab, hasn't he? Um, yeah. And uh, you guys probably remember um, maybe a bit better than me, but he was on TV quite a lot after footy, wasn't he? Absolutely, it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, uh, well, I suppose I suppose we could talk a bit more about that later, but uh, he ended up being captain of Collingwood and he won, they won the premiership in his second year as captain. So he, he topped off his 250 games with... Um, with an abs- with an absolutely fine career, mm. he certainly did. He, he he's come into a nineteen forty one on a high already after winning the flag with the seconds the previous year, yep. and uh and then gets to come in in round six against the uh the old rivals Carlton or the yep. yeah yeah. Um, now there's two other debutants I wanted to quickly mention. Um, the first of those being John McHale, who is son of Jock McHale. Oh, there you go. Um, and the other one being Norman Cruther, who was uh, his Norman Cruther's great uncle was Bill Proudfoot. They, I love it. Love it. Oh, so all three lineage going on there. All three of those players are like family related. So obviously, Lou Richards being Albie Panham's cousin or, you know, Charlie Panham's grandson. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's great that they have that lineage. You're right, Charlie. I feel, and this is totally um, just my opinion and in no way bound in fact, so get ready for this. <laughs> I reckon John McHale would have had a really hard time getting into the side under yep. his father. Yep. Like I, I, he would have had to be 10 times better than anyone else just to get a run. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> agree. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. the other... Make him guess, hungry. Yeah. The controversial thing at Collingwood, again, for the third season in a row, was that they lost another player to the VFA. VFA. Uh, Des Fothergill, who won the Brownlow medal in 1940, uh, followed Rod Todd over to Williamstown. God, that's got to hurt. That's three three years. Um, Although this one didn't hurt as much because whereas Ron Todd had kind of played the clubs off against each other, a good deal, he just kind of left and he does eventually come back. Although he did yeah. turn up, he did turn, he turned up to the first training at Williamstown wearing his Collingwood jumper, and that was on the front page <laughs> of the news. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. I mean, what? Yeah, it's a little bit tone deaf, isn't it, Des? Come on, you're better than that, mate. <laughs> um, so, after a disappointing loss to open the year, the Pies then had strong wins over Hawthorne, Fitzroy, and Footscray. Uh, round six, as you said, Lou Richards made his debut against uh, Carlton. Uh, Lou played on a player called Charlie McInnes, whom he labelled as a frightening-looking bloke. As they lined up, Charlie, as they lined up, Charlie wished Lou good luck. Then, as the ball was bounced, he let fly with a, a backhander against Lou's nose. Um, uh, uh, Lou saying he couldn't get a kick for the first half and couldn't hardly remember the first quarter anyway. <laughs> That's so good. That's awesome. Uh, and so that round six match was a loss for Collingwood by 17 points. Now, round nine, uh, Collingwood had a spiteful 23-point win over St Kilda. The last quarter descended into an ugly swirl of brawling players with uh, mm-hmm. former Magpie and Saints captain coach Jack Knight challenging uh, Albie yes. Panham 
they challenged him to a boxing match. In the in the middle of the game, pretty much. So things were put in so things were put into place to actually organise a, a bout. Oh, so, oh, this is amazing! I love that. A purse was offered. Yeah, great. I can just imagine the ball's probably still in play down the back pocket somewhere. But this is yeah. this legitimate match is, is getting organised properly, and they're figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but so this kind of went on for a few weeks, and after a while, the St Kilda committee or board called an end to it because they disapproved and they wouldn't let it go ahead. Yeah, fair enough. Um, actually, I've got another. I've got another debutant in that game as well. John Redden could have made some money out of them. Oh, absolutely, he could have. Right. Um, another debutant in that round nine game was Hugh Coventry, son of Sid. Uh, oh, son of Sid, the original sauce. Yeah. <laughs> um, he <laughs> um, he would play only eight games for the club. But uh, yeah, the, the ori- I like that. The original sauce. Original sauce. <laughs> that needs to get out there. Carlton oh, would love that. So Eddie quick. McGuire would love that. Yes. <laughs> now, oh, a run of five wins in a row from round I, 11. I reckon you, pro- you probably need to get a, you probably need to have a better than an eight game career to be called the original <laughs> sauce, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, now, a run of wins from round 11 to 15 saw a glimmer of finals hopes. Uh, including their first win at Cardinia Park. They had a win at Punt Road against Richmond with Hugh Coventry kicking four. They thumped Hawthorne um, in that game. Harry mm. Lambert kicked six, Albie Panham five, Lou Richards four. But, uh, sorry, and then round 15, they had a 29-point win over the Doggies at Western Oval and Collingwood moved into the top four for the first time since round two. Oh, good on them. It was short-lived, though, because uh, they lost to Melbourne in round 16. Even though in that game they had seven more scoring shots, they lost by 23 points. Oh, too bad. <laughs> they kicked 11 goals, 21. Uh, and then round 17, Arch Enemy Carlton yeah, beat them by... that's terrible. Round 17, Arch Enemy Carlton beat them by two points to all but snuff out finals hopes for a second year mm. in a row. So it's because Lou Richards, um, his... his um, uh, on field banter, just it's just water off a duck's back to Melbourne players with their stature and their, <laughs> they don't their wherewithal. No, <laughs> their fathers are lawyers, <laughs> they'll get right. them in fourth place. Essendon with 13 wins and five losses, 130.3 percent sneaking into the four. Yes, so it was uh, the Reynolds show down at um, down at Essendon in '41, captained by uh, Dick Reynolds, coached by Dick Reynolds. Their lead goal kicker was Tom Reynolds with 65. The only non-Reynolds in there was Wally Buttsworth as their best and fairest. Oh, <laughs> um, so Essendon had uh, they managed to recruit Gordon Abbott from Geelong after a bit of a battle with Preston in the VFA, and Kaz they also had a oh, okay. they had a debutant mm. by the name of Sid Silk Sid Silk. Another bit of great alliteration there. <laughs> Love it. Um, now, round one was a bit of a disappointment, but the Bombers then won their next six games, kicked off by a brilliant round two win over North Melbourne. Uh, although in that game, things didn't look great at three-quarter time. They trailed by 28 points. However, they turned things around in the final quarter. Dick Reynolds shuffled the lineup uh, and led by their inspiration. I was about to say. Led by their skipper. They played sparkling football. He inspired his team so much so they kicked 11 goals, six in the final quarter to storm to a 37-point win. Tom Reynolds kicking seven. Good on you, Tommy. 
Round five, another highlight as the Bombers ripped apart the Mayblooms by 96 points at Glenferry. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love when you get animated talking about Essendon, Timmy. It's yeah, it's, it's actually obvious. <laughs> Second year player Gordon <laughs> Whopper Lane, reigning McCracken Award winner, kicked seven. Uh, Reynolds was outstanding. His dash cleverness and high marks enabled him to send his side into attack repeatedly. <laughs> now, following this game, Tom Reynolds... I'm enjoying this kick, though. Following this game, Tom Reynolds had a bit of a form slump. He kicked only one against Melbourne in a loss. Um, yeah. And then none... He kicked, he, yeah, he was in a bit of a form slump. I think he kicked one goal in three games. But against Fitzroy, he got back into the swing of things, uh, kicking six, while his teammate Les Griggs kicked five. So Melbourne um, is better than Reynolds. That's... <laughs> that shows you what Reynolds is like. <laughs> um, now, we talked earlier about a player being almost suspended for not being able to play for Victoria. This also yes. happened to almost happened to Dick Reynolds. He, ah. um, he was named in the squad, uh, but couldn't find someone to take to cover his shift when the uh, when he was supposed to go and, and play. So there you go. Okay, so the, that that does lead in that does lead into what you were saying before about someone just saying they had to work. Obviously, isn't a good enough excuse. No, um, no. Can you imagine saying something like that? I mean, I guess we just take leave without pay, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had the option for, of playing for Victoria and going to work. Um, so yeah, he found someone to cover him eventually. So he went, uh, but beforehand the club was up in arms about it. The admin were just, you know, this unfair treatment, this three-time Brownlow medal winner, how dare they suspend him or threaten that? Yeah. Just not good enough. He's just human. Yeah. Um, so the middle of the season, the Bombers were up and down, but managed to win five of their last six games. Uh, Tommy Reynolds kicking 29 goals in the final seven games of the season. Bombers back in finals two years in a row. Woo. Love it. <laughs> good on them. Good on them. In third place, Richmond with 14 wins, four losses, 116.3%. Yes, the Mighty Tigers. So the Mighty Tigers, captain, coached by Jackie Dyer. Their lead goal kicker was um, Jack Titus with 87. And their best and fairest was Skinny Titus also. How's Titus, honestly? He, is, he doesn't stop. So Titus has won every goal kicker for every leading goal kicker for, for uh, Richmond since 34. Uh, oh. And then also 30 and 29. So he's been consistently their leading goal kicker apart from three years when it was Doug Strang since yeah. 29. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> now there was quite, uh, quite the controversy. I guess controversy is the road word at Richmond early pre-season um, because early Feb Richmond appointed Perce Bentley as their non-playing coach subject to uh, yes. finances. Um, but he then refused, Percy Bentley refused this saying he wasn't prepared to accept the position for under five pounds a week. Um, oh, really? Well, as an, yeah. as a matter of principle. Yeah. Um, so Les Langdon, the committeeman motioned for the club to accept his request, but no one seconded the motion. Um, yeah. So then there was a bit of a kerfuffle and Les Langdon nominated Jack Titus to coach with uh, yep. Maurice Sheen and Jack and Jay Weston nominating Jack Dyer. Uh, Jack Dyer was eventually elected subject to satisfactory agreements. Um, yeah, so there you go. Percy Bentley so, refused to coach the Tigers at their first training session. 
Uh, he wanted more money. So therefore Jack Dyer was installed as the coach of the side. There you go. So, which is a massive shame because mm, it uh, is. he was he was with the club like a terrible way to end um, his career there. He was captain for nine years, coach for seven. He'd been there for sixteen years. He played two hundred and sixty three games. Kind of not the way you really want to be going out. No. He is still their longest serving captain. Yeah. Mm. Until uh, until when it, well, Trent Cochin has the chance to take that over. Should the 2020 season resume? Yes. Yeah. I, I just, I, there must be more to it than that. Maybe he I think felt, it feels like he was yeah. pushed out as well. They wanted to keep Jack Dyer from going anywhere else. So they kept him as coach. Yeah. And just nice maybe, felt, maybe felt like le- less than five pounds was just a bit of a slap in the face or something. Who knows? Yeah, but, or maybe um, they'd yeah. already, maybe they'd promised it to him the year before if he would retire, you know, if he was going to retire or who knows. Yeah. I just feel like a guy like that, it sounds like there's probably more to the story. So I'm going to make it up. Let's, uh, no, let's get on to Rhett. Ask, maybe we can get him on, in, on, a, on an episode yes. soon and see what he, he knows. Absolutely. Rhett, tell us what you know. Come on. We need you. So round one, Richmond defeat Collingwood by 18 points at Vic Park in the first game of the season. Jack Titus and Jack Dyer, despite being among the best players, rule themselves ineligible for any player prizes this season. Uh, round two, Richmond defeat Carlton by 10 points at Punt Road Oval, Kazman. It's the first game between the two clubs since Perth Bentley left the Tigers to coach Carlton. The rugged encounter ends with 18 injured players, 10 to Carlton and 8 to Richmond. We might go through that when we get to Carlton in a minute. Whoa. Round three, Jack Titus kicks his 800th career goal against North Melbourne at Punt Road Oval. Um, and another interesting note I have here from the Tigerland website it, the Richmond Chronicle reports that owing to the war, there's a shortage of bandages, and therefore Richmond players are requested requested to return bandages to the club after use. <laughs> Washed and pressed. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Uh, round six, Jack Titus kicks 10 goals against Hawthorne at Punt Road. It's his 159th consecutive match. Uh, he kicked 10 goals for the third time in his career. And there was a, a, a grand high mark taken by Keith Brooks in the last quarter, which uh, officials rated as one of the best they'd ever seen, Kaz. I love a good oh, grand man. high mark. Mm. <laughs> Round eight, Richmond uh, claim top spot on the ladder when defeating St Kilda, while uh, its rivals have lost, so that puts them on top. But it's the only time for the season they'll be on top of the ladder. Round 13, hmm. Richmond defeat the topside Carlton by a point at Prince's Park. The Tigers were 18 points down at the start of the final term, but they fought back late uh, and the scores became leveled. So Laird Smith, the Tigers' 19th man, kicked the winning behind in the dying shot when his shot hit the post. Oh. Round 15, Jack Titus kicked eight goals against Essendon at Punt Road Oval. Um, in the first quarter, Richmond actually kicked eight goals straight on their way to a seven-point win. Round 16, Richmond lost to Fitzroy at Fitzroy, which sort of slipped the third on the ladder um, and put Melbourne one game clear. Um, during this game, Ian Hull protected the umpire from a spectator who ran onto the ground during the last quarter. <laughs> surprising oh, it surprising it wasn't a Carlton game. Yeah. And finally, <laughs> round 18, Richmond... Round 18, Richmond defeat Geelong in the last round, but the Tigers miss out on second place and a double chance by 0.5%. Jack mm. Titus kicked seven goals against Geelong um, 
he kicked Jack Tyson kicks 26 goals in his last four games, which I, was, um, I can tell he's just doing his absolute best to get them. In. And this being his, his 172nd consecutive game uh, equals um, Vic Thorpe's club record as well. There you go. 800 goals, 172 games in a row. What an absolute freak of a oh, man he was. All right, so let's get to the Demons. Now, in second place, Melbourne with 14 wins, four losses, 117.2%. Let's do this. This is great fun. All right, here we come. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kaz, are you excited? I'm very excited. Tim, you, I mean, considering we're doing this online, you can just put us both on mute for the next 35 <laughs> to 40 minutes. Go have a bath, do some jobs. Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. We'll still be going. Don't you worry. No, so captained by Alan LaFontaine, coached by Frank Checker-Hughes, uh, best and fairest, Alan LaFontaine, lead goal kicker, Norm Smith with 89. Lovely. Mm. Yes. Um, now, last... But we'll talk more about that later. Now, okay. there was a... Um... One thing we, we, we need to get to, but we haven't yet, is the famous second verse of the Demons song. Yes. Um, we didn't, we, our plan was to record an episode, but because of the way things are at the moment, we just haven't got around to it. We promised that will happen. Um, but that, mm. I think, happened in 1940, Charlie, because it refers to the 1939 Premiership. Yeah, I believe it was either after the season in 39 or the beginning of 40 when um, uh, Bluey Truscott wrote the wrote the second um, verse, which is uh, one of the better songs ever written, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, so we will get to that song at some stage. We will. We, we promise certainly to will. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, and we will. We will have it. We'll have it for you guys to listen to because it is a absolute ripper. <laughs> so there's some uh, some interesting debutantes that Melbourne had. One of them being Stan Pop Heel who is from yes. Australia. He was stationed yeah, in Victoria so, for the Army. Yes, he was He was at Flinders. He was stationed down in Flinders. And he was... Um, he only played every second uh, week as well. Yeah, oh. because other, other than that, he was required on base. Yeah. Um, uh, but he never trained he, uh, with the team? He never, tra- he never trained with the team. I don't... I don't think that was a huge worry at that stage because the year before when he was only, uh, he was 20 at this stage, when he was only 19, he was the runner up in the Sandover medal. Yeah, so I don't think Melbourne thing. were too worried about him training. That's yes, it. he's gone yeah. to a good team too. Um, but Mel- Melbourne were really, I mean, yes, we did we did do well um, getting um, Pop Hill there, but uh, we were... Ravaged. Yeah, ravaged by a few. There were a few injuries throughout the season, but everyone gets those. But we're lots just, of players missing because of the war. Yeah, it says, well, I've got my notes. Here. At least 12 were missing because of that. Yeah, well, as, as many, I think at different stages, it was a few less, but there were a few games where there were as many as 12 of our starting lineup who weren't yeah. there. Um, but that's in, to still finish second on the ladder is bloody impressive. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Other names you might know are Ted and Don Cordner, Kaz. Yes, Ted and Don Cordner, the two brothers of four altogether. And um, I suppose we'd better start with Ted, who um, who uh, didn't play as long as Don. Um, he was uh, 
went off to become a doctor and um, w- I think um, was a naval doctor. Is that right? Um, but Don Cordner, now I think, uh, is it not his, his um, granddaughter who plays in AFLW or did play last season, I think? Uh, Harriet yes. Gordon plays for the Demons. Yes. Um, so, it, so Don Cordner um, I, I played as a ruckman, deb, debuted in the finals, Tim, and his second game was a grand final, a winning grand final. Yeah, um, um, And uh, went on to be an all-time great of uh, the game, you could say, you could argue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, to t- Pop Vine starting. In, in the grand final in 26, I think, having a young man start in, in, in a semi. Loved yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Don, he uh, was in Team of the Century in the back pocket. I thought that was interesting. Um, and uh, rarely injured, he played 144 consecutive games between uh, 1942 to 1950s. Um, and he wins a Brownlow in the future. So we might have another chance to talk a bit more about him. Excellent. Yeah, yeah so it's good we talked about them in that order because that was the order in which they debuted. Ted did ah. come in a bit earlier um, and he was actually in that first year, he was awarded the best first player trophy. Um, yeah, so there you go. Two, so two great extra cool games on his brother. Following their, their father and uncle's, you know, footsteps. Mm. Yes. So round one saw Mrs. J.C. Blair, wife of President Joe Blair, unfurl the 1940 premiership flag before the game against Fitzroy. However, Melbourne would suffer a shock defeat to the hands of the Maroons, falling to the curse of the president's wife. Curse of the president's wife. <laughs> Two years I'm in a row. Not even Melbourne is immune. Time. Gets us every time. Back-to-back <laughs> flags, back-to-back curse of the president's wife. I'll take the flags. <laughs> um, round two, having led a close game all day against South, Melbourne suddenly found themselves nine points behind with eight minutes to play, uh, especially when South kicked two goals in a row. But their experience helped them steady and boot two of their own goals to win after South's best defender had been moved onto the ball in the dying minutes. Um, round three, we talked about this game when, Geelong, when Melbourne went down to Geelong to play against the Rabbits, I mean the Cats. Um, <laughs> that game with a win. LaFontaine was Melbourne's best, along with Wartman, who played two great quarters despite suffering a bad knock early in the game. Um, now, between round four and five was the Lightning Premiership, where Melbourne lost by a point to Collingwood. However, round five... The, the week, the next week, they would get their revenge in thumping fashion, Charlie. Yes, um, they would. They would absolutely dominate the first half on their way to a record halftime score, which I believe was uh, 19 7, 121. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. 121 and a half. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently Jack Mueller's <laughs> dominance in the ruck really helped Melbourne get off to this good start. Um, Collingwood were able to fight back admirably in the second half to reduce it to, a, to reduce the 76 point margin to a, I guess, acceptable 40 point margin by the end of the game, but it's still Melbourne's highest ever, I think, score at halftime. Um, yeah, well, if it's if it's not, I I can't imagine a time. Yeah, I cannot imagine a time when that would ever be better. Yeah. The, uh, the score was earned with pace, dash, high marking, quick handball, and the creation of an extra man which bamboozled their opponents. That's right. 
just being quick, being quick around the ball, quick handballs, get it all happening. You can't beat them. The Red Demons, the Flash. <laughs> Round nine, uh, saw the saw two of the highest scoring teams in the competition play, which was North Melbourne and Melbourne at this stage. And they put on one of the best games of the year. A blistering first quarter set up a victory for the Demons, responding to North's first goal by slamming on nine of the next 10. Uh, Norm Smith and Roy Dowsing went to quarter time with four goals each. Um, and look, North would chip away at the score and reduce the final margin to 13 points, kicking the last four goals in the last five minutes. But it was a good, strong, solid win to Melbourne, beating North Melbourne. Kaz, I know you always like beating North Melbourne. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, sounds like it was a good game too. Mm. Now, from round eight onwards, the Ds went on a 10-game winning streak, which uh, included big wins over fellow Espr- finals aspirants Essendon and Richmond. All launched um, from this North Melbourne defeat. <laughs> well, any time you beat North Melbourne is a good uh, a good day, isn't it? No, that's right. And uh, and they they you know would be so annoyed that um, it was them that let us get our confidence up and start this rampage. They would. Now, Charlie, the next thing we need to talk about is, I and I guess the biggest thing was uh, Ron Barassi. Yes. So. Yeah, well, uh, Ron, Ron Barasti Sr. was um, killed in action on the 31st of July, uh, 1941, um, at the Siege of Tobruk. So yep. he was the first of the VFL players to be killed in the Second World War. Mm. Um, it actually it happened um, before the, uh, I believe, we, before we played um, North Melbourne. Um, so the week, um, which is on the 16th of August, when we played um, Collingwood, there was a brief a brief tribute to Barassi, yep. which included a bugler playing the last post, yep. and um, Melbourne wore black armbands, and everyone you know had had their moment of silence. Yeah. Um. So, I guess. Not, not that it needed to, because I, I'm sure by this stage everyone knew people who had been um, killed in the war. But it sort of, I feel like it brought it home to the actual VFL. Yeah, it made it real. What had happened? It made it made it real in terms of the competition. Yeah. Um, Can I yeah. ask? As uh, you might know, but you might not, um, and maybe a question for another time. Why? Is the so the Melbourne best and fairest is named after Bluey Truscott? Why not Ron Barassi? I don't. The 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 quick answer is I don't know. Uh, I actually I think I think Bluey Truscott um was uh, not to compare or to put pit them against each other, but he was one of the finest pilots um, that we have ever had. So um, that might have something he, to do with it. He certainly was an excellent pilot. He also was a, an excellent player. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether Ron Brassi Senior was yeah, as excellent a player. He was. He was often the nineteenth man, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, so that would be my quick answer. But I'm more than happy to have a look into it. And in fact, we probably should. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Melbourne. As we said, in that game against Collingwood, they had that tribute. They controlled that game, uh, but could never put the pies away. Collingwood had their noses in front early in the last quarter before the Demons pulled away with four goals, two to no score in the last 10 minutes. 
all but knocking Collingwood out of the race for the finals and almost securing a top two finish for themselves. Yeah. Mm. Round 17 was a showdown with the dogs at the MCG. Saw Norm Smith put on an absolute clinic. Yes. Kicked 12 goals, 10. The rest of the team kicked five goals, 10. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous, isn't it? And it just goes to show how excellent a forward he was uh, in in his own standing not, mm. not, not including when he just hands off the ball to everyone else. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, twenty-two points. Uh, so, twenty-two scoring shots. Only Sid Coventry in nineteen thirty had more scoring shots, and and Norm Smith still sits mm. fourth on the all-time list. Unbelievable. Oh, yes. So, uh, he's there's the question. Okay, so who does he sit behind? It's Carey, Dunstall, and Fanning, right? Uh, not Carey. <laughs> it's Co- Coventry, Dunstall, and Fanning. Yeah. Coventry, Dunstall, and Fanning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, round 18, because they won that game against the Dogs, um, the Demons were then pitched into a one-on-one battle with the Blues for top spot. So, they played the Blues. The winner would finish on top. Um, yeah. Final round. Massive. Top yeah. two. Yep. Oh, I guess not, but I guess no matter what, that both teams are going to get the double chance, though. So it's an interest, yeah, interesting yeah, one. Well, Richmond, unless someone got absolutely demolished. Yeah, well, Richmond were the closest team and were only one point one percentage point yeah. behind Melbourne. So there was a chance if the demons had been thumped, they could have fallen down to third. But yeah, that they um, that didn't happen. So they the demons did lose this game. They kicked three goals, seventeen wow. in the first half. Um, which saw Carlton mm. take control in the third quarter and win that game, therefore finishing first with the Demons. Top of the ladder. Second. Yeah. Mm, massive. Um, so Norm Smith, as you said, led their goal kicking. He had his best goal kicking season with 89 goals. Uh, he kicked holes of 12 goals, eight goals, three of six and six of five. This is, it's, that's, a, that's massive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Love it. <laughs> And finally, first place, Carlton, with 14 wins, four losses as well. So the three teams there. Um, but they had a percentage of 120.3%. Carlton. So the, the leaders, the, the top of the ladder, back to where they uh, feel like they belong, although they shouldn't really be there. I think but that's just my opinion. So this year, uh, captained by Jim Francis, coached by Perce Bentley. Yeah. Um, and leading goal kicker was Paul Schmidt with 77. Bob Chitty was the best and fairest down there. So there we go. Perce Bentley. Yeah. So he, uh, so Brighton Diggins signed up for service, so he couldn't coach. They mm. lured Perce Bentley over. He wasn't given clearance to play, so he would only coach. Uh, also, he wanted to continue playing. Apparently, yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. So some, some debutants, Kazman. We've got Fred Mulga Davies and my favourite, Harcourt Dowsley. Yeah, like <laughs> Why is he your favourite, Harcourt? I just. I like, I like that name. name a lot. Harcourt <laughs> Dowsley. He should be playing for Melbourne. It should be be in Downton Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Um, now, round two in a match between Carlton and Richmond. We talked about this a little bit already. 11 players were injured in this game. Uh, with highly talented Carlton Rover Jack Hale breaking his leg in a collision with uh, Bernie Walden of Richmond. He'd never play again. Yes. Oh. Um, Lance Regnier dominated in the ruck and was sent forward after injuring his knee. Um, seven Carlton players injured themselves and required medical attention after the game. Uh, yeah, okay. So I've got a list of them here. Don McIntyre strained his arm ligaments. Jim Francis bruised ribs. Lance Regnier knee. Jack Carney sprained ankle. Jack Skinner torn thumb. Mickey Oof. Crisp injured thigh. George Bailey did his wrist. And Charlie McInnes sprained his ankle. So the game is just sprinkled with the the players just dropping down to the ground. And yeah, everyone, oh, no, not and you ball. can imagine with uh, Perth Bentley now at Carlton as well, that would have created quite a bit of uh, acrimony too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, now round four, the Blues won a shootout against North Melbourne at Arden Street, taking the game by 14 points. Jack Rout kicked five. The highlight of the game, though, was... Uh, Blues fullback Bob Chitty, who from the teeth of goal initiated a coast-to-coast Carlton goal in three kicks via Ken Baxter and Jack Rout. Three kicks from fullback yep. to full forward. I yep. love it. Yes. Um, now, round five, an errant first quarter in front of goal was almost enough to give the Saints a sniff in this game at the Junction Oval. But the Blues straightened up in the second half, kicking 10 goals, 10 to take the game by 18 points. Uh, Paul Schmidt kicked another five goals to take his season tally to 23. Uh, and Harcourt, Harcourt Daly was impressive on his debut, kicking four goals, including one with his first kick. Yes. And he's going to be getting them a cracking this year as well, I think. Yes. Um, in Love defeat, that. In defeating Collingwood in round six, Schmidt was again terrific in front with another five-goal haul. Bob <laughs> um, <laughs> was reported for elbowing Albie Panham and was suspended for two weeks. Um as of this game, Charlie, this is one of those stats you love. Carlton would now have a, a winning record over every other team in the competition in combined regular yes. season finals matches. Oh, I, I'm glad you. I'm glad you say that because I I've got that written down and highlighted. That's one of my favourite stats from here. Yeah, so a winning record over every other club. Yep, which they would hold oh. until uh, until 1954. Sorry, it's another 13 years. Massive. Yep. Um, Now, round 10, Carlton's dreadful inaccuracy. They kicked uh, 12 goals, 27. uh, 12 12 goals, 25 um, against Geelong. Almost cost them this home match, but they had a big last quarter um, to scrape home by eight points. Schmidt returned to form with five goals. It's very unusual to lose a home ground. Great man. (laughs) And then, look, Schmidt in round 16 again took his season tally to 71 when he kicked 11 goals in a thumping of St Kilda. <laughs> yeah, wow. Massive. Love round, it. Round 17, after leading all day, the Blues had to score the last goal to snatch victory, taking over second spot in the ladder and consigning the Pies to fifth place. Um, and we know Carlton then won their round 18 game against uh, Melbourne, Melbourne to take home the top spot in the ladder. Mm. Yeah, and take it home... Uh, convincingly on on percentage there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, we talk about percentage. Look at the bombers there, hundred and thirty. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, if they didn't have Reynolds though, be... but we do. We got two of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Now uh, that's the last time I'll be heckling you. <laughs> 
let's go around the grounds. Uh, let's uh, hopefully Murph can drop in his around the grounds. Yeah. Big Reds local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth in the grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1941 season of football from around this great country. First this week, we take a look at the Sandful. And in the 62nd season of competition, Norwood have dominated another season of South Australian football, securing their 19th premiership, beating a gallant Sturt side. The fast start and a six-goal to two first quarter helped Norwood to a 23-point lead at the first break. This lead was maintained for the day, with a relatively even scoring by both sides through the day, and the final scores being 14-16-100, to 10-11-71 and a 29-point victory to the Red Leg side in front of 30,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. The Sandful League goal-kicking, the newly named Ken Farmer Award, was won by Bruce Schultz from Norwood with 100 goals. Bruce was a prolific goal-kicker for Norwood over nine seasons and was often runner-up to Ken Farmer in the League Goal-Kicking Awards. During this time, Bruce was the club captain for a period of time and once kicked 19 goals in a game, including two kicks that hit the post. Over his career, he averaged 5.4 goals per game, which betters the modern greats of Ablett, Dunstall and Lockett. Bruce Schultz also played two Sheffield Shield games for South Australia, taking wickets against national players and making quality runs as an all-rounder. In the 1941 season, Bruce was on track to beat Ken Farmer's league record of 134 goals in a season. And in round 13, he'd kicked two goals to bring up his 100th. Not long after bringing up his 100th goal, Bruce suffered a severe knee injury and was taken from the field and unfortunately never played football again, which is terribly tragic. He is remembered now as being the full forward in Norwood's team of the century. The McGarry medal was won by Marcus Boyle from Glenelg with 25 votes. Bruce also spent six seasons playing for Collingwood in the VFL. Over to the Waffle. And in the 57th season of football in the West, West Perth have won their eighth premiership, beating arguably the strongest team of the competition, East Fremantle, by 22 points at Subiaco Oval. East Fremantle had dominated the home and away season with an average winning margin of 50 points against their opponents. They'd even beat competition victor West Perth by 77 points in their home and away clash during the season. Come finals time though, West Perth won their semi-final clash, their first, first finals win in six years by 25 points to go straight into the big dance, making their opponent East Fremantle go the long way. Then again the grand final, West Perth held league leading goal kicker George Doig to another to only two majors in the game uh, and to win strongly in front of 16,000 fans. The final scores for the clash were 14-14-98 to 10-17-77. As mentioned, the Waffle League leading goal kicker for the 1941 season was George Doig from East Fremantle with 141 goals, his sixth time winning the top honour. The Sandover medal is won for the third time by Hayden Bunton Sr. from Subiaco with 22 votes. His third Sandover medal coming after his 38 and 39 wins nicely complements his Brownlow medals from the VFL in the 1931, 32 and 35 seasons. 
During the 1941 season, Bunton was also the club captain for Subiaco, won the club's goal-kicking award, and was the club's best and fairest player, capping a great individual season for him. His Subiaco side, however, were unfortunately finishing sixth in the 1941 season, missing out on finals. Over to the VFA, and in the 63rd season of competition, Port Melbourne have gone back-to-back, securing the club's fifth premiership against the defiant Coburg side, who had an ex-VFL goalkeeping star Bob Pratt sitting at full forward. Port Melbourne had a slow start and trailed by 18 points at the first break. However, a strong second quarter, holding Coburg to only four points while scoring five goals of their own, and a six-goal-to-two final quarter brought the final margin to 19 points in favour of Port Melbourne. The game was held at the MCG in front of 37,000 fans, and the final scores for the clash were 15-18-108 to 11-23-89. This was the year that many thought the association would take over the VFL as the more popular competition, led greatly by the fact they had several high-profile stars transfer across from the VFL to, the, to a VFA team, including goalkeeping legend Bob Pratt, among others. Crowds at home and away games equaled or bettered some of VFL games during the 41 season, and the grand final at the MCG and large crowd had everyone thinking that the tide was changing. However, with the VFA playing rules that didn't quite align with the national other national competitions, much of what occurred in this season didn't make uh, much of a dent in the eyes of the power brokers of the football world. For example, the VFA's leading goal kicker for the 41 season, as previously mentioned, was Bob Pratt. And league statistics tell us that Pratt and Peter Hudson share the VFL VFA record for goals kicked in a season, which stands at 150 goals. In the 1941 season, Pratt kicked 183 goals for the season for Coburg and should be recognised as the greatest individual tally for VFA, VFL history or any other national competition for that matter. But unfortunately, this amazing feat doesn't feature greatly in history and the fact that the VFA was not playing with the ANFC rules, the record was overlooked. Des Feathergill from Williamstown won the association best, plot, best and Fairest, receiving both the VFA medal and the Recorder Cup as trophies for the achievement. Feathergill polled a huge number of votes, being 62 for the season. He averaged 3.1 votes per game and was a comfortable winner ahead of E. Frey from Brunswick, who had 33 votes, and Lance Collins from Coburg on 32 votes. Feathergill had transferred... Uh, to the VFA from the VFL in the previous season, coming from Collingwood in the 1940 season, a year in which he shared the Brownlow medal as best and fairest for that competition. So a couple of good individual seasons for Des Feathergill, or Fothergill, perhaps. Other winners included Eagle Hawk Football Club in the Bendigo Football League, winning their 18th premiership. North Hobart and City win down in Tasmania. And in Queensland... Kedron win their first ever premiership. And now that wraps up the, the roundup for the 1941 season from around the grounds. Until next time, kick straight. And hopefully Moz can do the same with the Brownlow download in what is the last Brownlow for a few years. Yes. The Brownlow download with Moz. Hello, everyone. 
All right, we're talking 1941 Brownlow medalist, and that was Norman Ware. Norm was a six foot four ruckman from Sale. He debuted in 1932 and he played consistently for Footscray, averaging a minimum of 14 games a season. His brother Wally played five seasons with Hawthorne, but was a late starter, only debuting at age 24 and retiring at 28. In this season, Ware scored 21 goals and received 23 Brownlow votes. That put him one tiny little vote clear of former winner Herbie Matthews of the Bloods and six votes beyond the third place finisher and fellow teammate Fred Hewson. Norm played 15 games the following year, 1942, and kicked a PB of 51 goals that year. Very strangely though, he received not one Brownlow vote in 1942, even though he'd kicked 51 goals. Norm played no games in 43 and 44, and it's thought that he um, had some sort of involvement in the war, but I couldn't find much detail about that. So I'll look, I'll keep researching and get back to you if I find anything else, or if anyone knows anything, please let me know. Um, he then played one game in 1945 where he scored six goals and he retired in 1946 after playing 14 more games and he was 35. Um, Norm, well, this, this really shook me. Norm was the only ever captain coach to win the Brownlow during the time he was performing these duties. And because he's the only one to ever have done that, it's obviously very unlikely that anyone will ever do that again. So that's very special for old Norm. Uh, Norm was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2001 when he was 90 years old and he was given huge credit for developing his club during his time as player and then as captain coach. Norm died at the age of 92 in 2003. Um, if anyone has any more detail about Norm, I'd love to hear some more. I found him quite difficult to research. There wasn't a huge amount of detail about him. Um, well, not as much as some of the previous Brownlee medalists anyway. But... Uh, yeah, let me know. Thank you and goodbye. Um, and Moz, just to uh, add to that there, I've done a bit of research since listening to your uh, download and it seems that in 1942, Norm Ware was stationed at Royal Park as a member of the Southern Command Postal Unit and was, unab and was able to keep playing. In 1943, however, he was sent to the Western Australia and then to Queensland. Um, actually, the day that Fitzroy won the 1944 Premiership, spoiler alert, he sailed from Moreton Bay, Brisbane, to the Solomon Islands and then Bougainville, where as a postie, he was the most popular man in his unit. Um, and he didn't actually play again until 1945 when he had returned uh, to Victoria. So hopefully that uh, ties up a little bit of that um, about where he was. Thanks, Moz. Um, hey, finals. <laughs> finals. Hey, finals. <laughs> Right, let's get to uh, the finals. We love the finals. Hey, Essendon. Timmy, enjoy the finals. Essendon are in them. I know, again. Mm. Yeah, love it. They're so back. Essendon, Richmond, MCG, 26th of September. Yes, in front of 59,368 people. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't even really a competition. Richmond kicked 2-4 in the first quarter. Essendon kicked 8-1. It was done by the end of the first quarter. Oh, absolutely. Oh, um, a few things leading into this. Mrs. Fleming and Mrs. Goring donated a crystal vase for Richmond's best player in this game. Not that it did anything <laughs> to help. Um, and look, most people thought the Tigers would overcome the smaller Essendon team. Um, but Essendon's dash and ability troubled the Tigers from the outset. 
as you said, Charlie, eight goals of one meant the Tigers were playing catch up and they just couldn't overcome that start. Uh, and then the last quarter, the Bombers also piled on seven goals too. So an absolute thumping. Tom Reynolds and yeah. Michael Lane kicked five goals each. Hugh Tawney was dominant in the ruck and Wally Buttsworth sold as the rock in defence. Uh, Les Griggs was best on ground for the Bombers. I love it. Good. So which takes us to the second semi, Carlton Melbourne. After uh, Carlton put Melbourne into the ground in the uh, last round of the uh, the home and away season. Uh, hey, can, can I tell you something about Melbourne pregame? Yes, come on. Um, so pregame, Fitzroy training staff assisted Melbourne. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Len Smith was part of... I, yeah, I don't know, I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Um, but pregame, all the Melbourne players were given a shampoo by a white-coated barber and well-known... And they had a well-known Melbourne orchestra leader playing a harmonica to soothe the players' nerves before games. I feel like I feel like that's what we're missing these days. <laughs> yeah, imagine how crisp you would feel after that. That's it. Coming out just just with a nicely nicely put together quaff and maybe a maybe a shave <laughs> with a straight razor. I'll tell you what, you'd be feeling a million bucks as you ran it, ran down the race. It'd be perfect. Of all, of all the soothing instruments, though, why is he playing harmonica? <laughs> it's a bit bluesy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Play the oh, harp. Geez. Get the harp going. What's yeah, what's yeah. strings? Yeah, bit of a. Bit of a they've got. It's a bit of a uh, ambiguous title there. Melbourne Orchestra Leader. A, uh, a well-known uh, orchestra leader. Yes, I like it. I'm a well-known orchestra leader. <laughs> I can play. Because, as you said, Don Cordner made his debut in this game. Yes, and yes. Um, even with Carlton decimated by injuries, it must have been him that got them over. No, it's, yeah, it says so, here. Oh, yeah. No, go on. No, I was going to say, so uh, Don was named in the back pocket uh, for the game. As you mentioned before, Kaz, he was named ah. in the back pocket of our team of the century as well. Ah, right. For his first game, named in the back pocket. Uh, really, though, as a backup to our uh, Ruckman as well, because our Ruck stocks had not been strong this year. Uh, and he he came in and and proved that he belonged there. Mm. And uh, and similar to the first semi, Melbourne came out in the first and just got off off to an absolute running start with those quick handballs that we're known for these days. Yeah, and they also changed their um changed their tactics a little bit. They put Mueller isolated in the goal square. Yeah, um, which uh, Smith and Baggett really worked hard towards. And yeah, like, just like, running everyone else out of there, giving yeah, him space. And, and it's very similar to the Richmond Essendon game. Melbourne just dominated in the first quarter, and that was kind of the game. Yeah, that was all they needed, really. After yep. that, it sort of stayed stayed reasonably um, uh, solid. After that, like it was kind of even after it, that point. But it did it did yeah. rain after the ma- uh, after half time as well. So that that Which made it hard as well. things down. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bob Chitty was best on ground for Carlton, but that didn't, you know, they lost, so it doesn't really matter. No. Chitty. Which takes us to the the prelim, Carlton Essendon. Carlton Essendon. Uh, in the lead up to this, Dick Reynolds had the flu and Tom Reynolds was nursing an injured shoulder and he didn't end up playing. Mm. Oh, really? But Dick did play. Yep, he was uh, he was actually targeted mm-hmm. from the get go. Uh, players yep. really trying to take it physically up to him, but he stood up to that and was really able to inspire his team. Uh, they, and he actually kicked the first two goals of the game. Yeah, amazing. Um, he implored nice. the players, the Bombers players, to play the ball, not the man. 
Yeah, great. Which would be hard to do if you were being targeted. So it yeah. shows a lot of strength on his behalf. Yeah, and yeah. that's a, you know, they would like to roughen up people. So, um, mm. yeah, that's a good way to play. So the Bombers took control in the second quarter with four goals to zero. Um, the only time Carlton looked dangerous was early in the third, but the Bombers righted the ship, ran out 25-point winners. Jack Casson kicked five. And, yeah. And the stat, another great stat that I love from this was the Carlton, by going out in straight sets, was the first minor premier in 40 years not to make the grand final. Yeah, the last one being Geelong in 1901. Yeah, so and a bit hard. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, so grand final. Let's give our old pal Alan Lafontaine a call again. I'll tell you what. He must be sick of us by now. <laughs> Alan, unbelievable that we get to speak to you again. You've had two very happy Melbourne supporters here, uh, and you know, and me, I suppose. <laughs> well, I won't say sorry because I'm not, but I will say that I'm very glad to be speaking to you guys again. Excellent. So tell me, Alan, in these strange times, how does winning a third premiership feel? Look, to be honest with you guys, it's been a very strange year, a bit of a jarring season, and I'm just so relieved to have been able to get the job done. I'm really ecstatic for the club and for the team and really sad at the same time that some people aren't here to celebrate it with us. Um, I assume you're talking about Ron Barassi there, Alan? Look, as, as well as others, but yeah, uh, Ron, I guess, is the one that really hits home. Yeah, he was a great man and sacrificed it all for our country. It really puts a lot of things into perspective, uh, but I'd prefer probably not to talk more about that one, if you don't mind. No, of course. Uh, I can imagine emotions are running high. So let's get back to the footy. Did the fact that you had already won the last two years put even more pressure on the performance this year? Look, of course, of course it does. I mean, these turbulent times meant we couldn't be sure of anything. And with some players not available due to service, it was really as unpredictable as it comes. Look, that being said, though, we were unbelievably happy with the team we've put together four or five years. And it felt like our best was still well good enough. We were pretty determined to have those three pennants flying together. Um, and what were yours and Checkers' plans to get started well? Look, well, we started out with the training early in March and got off to a great start in, in keeping the team together. We, we may have heard a few players were uh, thinking about heading to the VFA, but we managed to hold on to them. Uh, we worked on a lot of quick skills, hand passing to a man on the run, keeping good judgment and working with the ball in the air. Uh, but we unfortunately started a little bit at the beginning of the actual season. You're referring to your first round loss, Alan? Yeah, look, that, but also our next couple of wins weren't overly convincing either. We really enjoyed the Lightning Cup break, not only uh, to do our patriotic duty and to raise some money, but also to shake out whatever had happened in the beginning of the season. And uh, we really came back into round five feeling much better. And what a fashion you did it in, Alan, kicking 26 goals to record your highest ever score against Collingwood. <laughs> yeah, thanks there. It was uh, definitely the team we wanted to do it against. But then things lapsed back a bit. You, you guys seemed inconsistent. Um, what was it, do you think? 
Look, honestly, honestly, it left uh, all of us, including Checker, scratching our heads just a little bit. Um, inconsistency in the lineup, you know, rucking with injuries. We couldn't really seem to work our way back into form. But then that game against Hawthorne really helped build us confidence, especially in the rain. And look, you had a bit of luck with some late recruits as well. That, that must have really helped, Alan. Yeah, young Cordner was a great pickup. Uh, he actually asked if he could pay for his uniform because he wanted to retain his amateur status, if you can believe it. Oh, and Pop Seal was a lucky break and could so easily have gone to Essendon. He might not have been talking to me today at all if it had gone the other way. You mentioned Essendon. They weren't too happy about it, were they? No, and I can't blame them. Uh, missing out on a Sandover medal runner-up, but it got a bit heated in the next game we played against them. Look, emotions run high in football, and that's all right. Yeah, that's actually very diplomatic of you, Alan. But um, look, it's time we probably got into the finals. So you faced the ladder leaders in Carlton in the second semi-final, having lost to them in the past three games. Um, what did Checker have for you to get, you know, to go into that game? Look, we felt like we had a better team coming in this time around as compared to the last time we played them. Beams was returning after becoming a father. Congratulations to Percy. And another young coordinator came in to shore up the ruck. Uh, look, we knew we had to get off fast, and we did. That's an understatement, Alan. 27-point win in the end, but it was always yours. And then after Essendon put the nail in Carlton's coffin, uh, you were back to the grand final against Essendon. Yeah, look, uh, we knew we could do it, and we were so happy to be back into it. I think um, Telegraph's um, home from Bluey Truscott and Harold Ball from the front were fantastic and really geared the boys up. Not that it was really needed. The ground was an absolute cauldron after the second premiership. Yeah. Um, so you ran out there surely with some confidence having beaten them the last three times. Uh, but what was the plan? Uh, look, as always, we just wanted to be fast and to dominate the possession. Uh, we got out to a great lead thanks to Norma in the forward line and just trusted that all our boys knew what to do and how to get it done. The checker was calm and undaunted, and his attitude radiated through the rest of the team. Superb performance by the boys today, Alan. Who, who do you think was best? Look, as I mentioned, uh, Norm having four goals and leading our forward line was brilliant. But I think it's a really tough choice between uh, Jack Mueller, Mueller, Percy Beams and Wally Locke. Although, I think I've got to give it to Beams. Six goals and just dominated play the whole way through. Which is absolutely unbelievable. That's now three grand finals in a row with best on performances. Um, it couldn't ridiculous. happen without him, could it? No, yeah, that's unbelievable. Un the biggest game of the year. Um, yeah. What about tonight, though, Alan? What, what are you going to do to celebrate? Look, with the current climate, I think we'll just enjoy this one in-house, uh, keep it in perspective, you know, a bit of a celebratory dinner, a show, and then maybe head to a dance a bit later. Well, in tough times, it's important to enjoy the things you can. Congratulations again on winning three in a row, Alan. What a phenomenal achievement. Look, thanks again, all. We've worked really hard for this, and uh, we're looking forward to enjoying it together. Is that the last question? Thanks, thanks Alan. Yeah. All right, and to go through those stats, so for Melbourne, Beams kick six, Smith four, Mueller three, Wartman two, Daly O'Keefe, Dullard, Anderson one. For Essendon, Reynolds three, Dick Ren Tom Reynolds three, Dick Reynolds two, Casson two, Axelby, Bryce, Regan, Tawny, Lane and Abbott one each. Um, also interesting to note, Essendon was awarded 52 free kicks in that game to Melbourne's 20. Yep, yeah, see, 
it's still happening. We've been talking, I've been talking about this for years and I'm yeah. sick of it. I'm bloody sick of it, Timothy. <laughs> it's not okay. As it, as it's incredibly impressive. Melbourne won three in a row, but this has to be their best of the three as well, considering how undermanned they were this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, it'd be, um, it would have been, it would be interesting to go back in time and see this season played again, not under the the circumstances in which it was played, because I think we would have been even stronger. Like yeah. that mm. that team that Checker Hughes put together from when he started to now. Like you know, you talk about um, the Collingwood um, four Pete. By that last year, it was really a team that was taped together and on its last legs that managed to get the job done. Yeah. Melbourne was still yeah. well within their window. Like it was a lot of young blokes still going yeah. strong. No one was sort of at the, apart from maybe LaFontaine was sort of weaning a little bit, even though he's still phenomenal. He's a, he was an older guy. The majority of that team was still young. You talk about the Albie Rodder and those guys have only just been picked up. They didn't even play in 39. So yeah. it's, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If Bang. it wasn't if it wasn't for the war, we would have had six in a row. Yeah. Calling it. <laughs> Definitely. <Man. laughs> um, so quickly might just mention the second grand final as well. Which was yes. Played. Well um Alan Alan just uh, alluded to that in in the uh, in our conversation, didn't he? It was yeah, ridiculous. So, so Captain Coach by Harry Collier. Um Essendon played Fitzroy in that game and they beat Fitzroy 88 to 71. Uh, but in the, towards the end of the game, a Fitzroy play was felled by an Essendon player and fights broke out everywhere. It was a uh, vicious yeah. bench clearing brawl involving almost Ooh. every single player. Uh, both, both teams were reported for unseemly conduct and following a VFL investigation, the committee's hearing concluded, um, which on, was on the 14th of October, each club was fined 10 pounds. I mean, <laughs> so they didn't care at all. <laughs> yeah. God. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, I just want to go through some retirements from this season. Yes. We've got Jack Hale from Carlton, 123 games. Uh, Mickey Crisp from Carlton, 183 games, one premiership. Len Murphy, Collingwood and Footscray, 198 games, two flags. Jack yeah, Carney, Geelong and Carlton, 163 games, one flag. Stan Spinks, bit of a drink, 143 games. Um, and probably the biggest player to retire, <laughs> Billy Moore from St Kilda, 195 oh, games, 736 goals. Billy Moore, we salute you. Thank you, Billy Moore. Indeed. Um, so, Kazman, you've got an important decision to make on the, uh, um, the McCracken Name Award. After, that's right, the McCracken Name Award. Um, so, this is this is no contest. It's Harcourt Dowsley. Harcourt Dowsley. I love how I love how easy that was for you because I feel like that's the one, definitely. Yeah. Harcourt <laughs> Dowsley. Da- Dave Engelner could have been up there. Sid Silk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there were some love it. Up there, but yeah, yeah, Harcourt Dowsley. Yeah. And and yeah. also like in. No, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe not um, one of the greatest. Just listen to this podcast. Walk around and try not to imagine someone with their shirt, uh, their nice crisp shirt tucked into their red shorts. Hey, absolutely. Exactly maybe, what I have. Maybe with a collar pop as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, Kaz, I think we need I some kind it. of theme or gong or and, something for um, when you announce the winner. Uh, I'm only saying that big. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
but thank you, thank you for um, the audience's help there and going along yeah. with that because I think that's the right one. Definitely. Right, so, um, let's wrap this season up, boys. Okay, so uh, who won the premiership? Kaz? Mel- Melbourne again. <laughs> it was Melbourne again. Can I say this? Melbourne are undefeated right. in grand finals. Oh. Yes! The five opposite grand, of... Five grand finals for five premierships. See, I love that. I love yeah. that. <laughs> That uh, is so that's great. a good feeling. Uh, it is, so is very good. Brown the league got, uh, oh, mm. sorry, Brown the medalist was Norm Ware of Footscray. Sorry, yep. their first real, mm. their first real Norm Brownlow medalist at this point because, oh, actually no, sorry, their second because Alan Hopkins mm. was the winner, wasn't he in thirty? Yes, he was. Yes, mm-hmm. it was Jud- Judkins and um, no, banana legs. Who else? Yes, didn't get and, it. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Collier, Harry Collier. Yeah. Um, so, leading goal kicker under Coleman Medal rules. Uh, well, let's just okay. Lead goal kicker <laughs> was Norm Smith, but yeah, the leading but goal kicker games. under Coleman rules was Sel Murray of North yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, eighty-eight yeah. with Norm Smith, eighty-nine, including. You've five. just got to let me say it. Come on, you just got to let me say it. <laughs> um, we've got the. Thanks for letting us have that, Tim. Okay, you're welcome. Wooden Spoon going to Hawthorne, their fifth Wooden Spoon, but their mm. first for quite a while since 32. Uh, Tell you what, Ma- though, a Wooden Spoon's very good for digging out of a mustard pot. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, we've got Carlton with the highest score of the season, 25 goals, 19, 169. I think Massive. I just vomited just, at that just, one. Uh, just beating Melbourne's score over Collingwood, which I think was 160. And the premiership tallies as of 1941, we've got Collingwood with 11, Fitzroy with 7, Carlton 6, Essendon 6, Melbourne 5. Hey. Hey. Richmond Richmond 4, Geelong 3, South Melbourne 3. I still feel like we should be further up that list, Charlie. Yeah, well, we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) No one near Essendon, Tim. Hey, uh, no, and we're look we're looking pretty good for forty two. I reckon we're premiership favourites at this stage for forty two. We've you know we're on the way up. Yeah, you're definitely on the way up. I think Melbourne would still be premiership favourites at this stage. Yeah, possibly. I mean, so the, without the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, let's wrap up this Zoom meeting of the minds. Yeah, we love this. It's great times. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's actually um, worked pretty well, I think. You both look fantastic. I think so. I think so. Uh, it's uh, it's good, to, as we've said, just to keep the keep it all ticking over. And without any new football to watch, it's nice to talk about the old stuff. So uh, Sorry, I hope um, everyone at home's enjoyed it. And nice for us to have something to do as well. It really was. Absolutely. Keep us from, uh, yeah, from... I don't know what we, I'd be doing otherwise, <laughs> yelling at a wall and drinking 10 bottles of red wine every day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. And I, I hope uh, you guys at home are finding things to fill your time productively. Please, yes. if you feel like it, do some research and, and send us interesting little tidbits <laughs> that we can talk about next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that sounds fair. Let's uh, yeah, sign, sign off to our audience. Yeah. Um, again, please. I mean, if if there was ever a time to recommend a podcast or a book or anything to anyone, now is the time. So please, uh, if you enjoy listening, send it out to your mates. Let let them know what we're what we're all about. Um, 
now my sending all of those uh, yeah sorry sending that information and that just is the best reading that yes. and and it just feeds you um, you know the the, uh, the passion mm. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, uh, now with, with no footy going on is a great time to, uh, to get back in and learn more about the history of your own club. I know uh, we've, I've always enjoyed reading about the great times that Melbourne have had. So whoever you go for, your club's had great times, no matter yep. who. <laughs> uh, so go back and learn, learn more about the old times because it just gives you a better appreciation for who your club is. Absolutely. And um, we, we love doing this. So, um, yeah, looking forward to speaking about 1942 with you all soon and even more looking forward to speaking about 1948 <laughs> in the not, not too distant future. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, with that, uh, we'll, all, we'll see you all soon. Hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.